Hey, I'm Steph. I'm a motivator, creator, small business owner, and educator. I'm a lover of all things health, spirituality, inspiration, and business. These are just a few words to describe me, along with passion, grit, and resiliency. Regardless of what I'm up to, I am soul-driven to create a purpose-filled life and find the advantages in adversity, all while keeping a smile on my face. Soul Driven with Steph is a podcast that will fill up your cup and leave you feeling empowered, inspired, and on fire as you listen to interviews and stories of other soul-driven and strong women that have overcome against all odds. This podcast was a calling on Steph's soul to serve, connect, and share stories of struggles and successes, all to create a community so that you know you're never alone. Grab a cup of coffee, get ready to learn, laugh, and leave with wisdom and strategies to connect to your soul and get back in the driver's seat of your life today. Here's Steph. Welcome back to another episode of Soul Driven with Steph. I am so excited about today's interview. It is a dear friend of mine, fellow authorpreneur, entrepreneur, um, Amanda Zipa, and she is just a local uh, female author, and um, she has so many different ways that she is connecting with people in the community and influencing people positively. So I'm excited to get her on and share more about what she's up to and a little bit of her story. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. What a fun way to spend an afternoon. I know, right? On like this cold winter day, we just yes. got the sun beaming on us. And yes. <laughs> trying to stay warm. Space. It is cozy. Yes. Good. Well, tell us a little bit about you, Amanda, and your backstory and what kind of led you to where you're at now. Absolutely. Okay. So um, when you're graduating high school and people say like, what do you want to do? And I always <laughs> had two answers. I either wanted to be a teacher or I wanted to be a writer. And people, when I say writer, were like, ooh. <laughs> right. That's risky. That's not super practical, nor is it high paying. Yeah. Like, well, teaching isn't high paying either. But, you know, I knew what that life looked like, right? We all go through school. We know what a teacher's life looks like, what their daily schedule looks like. You know, uh, up until uh, Act 10, we, we knew pretty much what everyone was going to get paid for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Um, and so I chose that path because people told me I'd be good at it uh, and it was practical. Um, and so I went to school, UW-Eau Claire, and got my teaching degree. And um, my husband and I both started teaching. And the first year we were married, he coached three sports. Now he only wow. coaches one. Lovely. <laughs> um, but at the time, before we had kids, he was gone at practice all the time. And I had a lot of free time to myself in this new town. Uh, we lived in Toma. Not sure. a whole lot going on there. Um, lovely people though. Um, and so I had a lot of free time. And so I just started writing. And then one day I was scrolling through the internet and it said, make money for doing what you love, get paid to write. And I was like, oh, pick me. I want to do yeah. that. Um, and so it was on um, for something that is now defunct, but it was called the Yahoo Contributor Network. And how it would work is uh, you would write an article they would post it on yahoo.com and then they would pay you. Sometimes they'd pay you like a couple dollars up front for the article, but mostly they'd pay you per click. Sure. So you made one and a half cents per every 100 clicks. Wow. Yes. <laughs> big, big dollars. Big bucks. <laughs> yes. Um, and the idea was that if you had hundreds of articles, 
that sure. you could make, you know, as a side hustle, some yeah. uh, back in 2008, right? Wow. Yeah. Um, and so anytime I like, oh my gosh, I only got paid this much. My husband's like, remember when you made one and a half cents for every 100 <laughs> clicks? So I was like, good point. That's a great starting point. Right. <laughs> can only so, go so I just got on the practice of like constantly being on the lookout for new article ideas mm -hmm. um, and what can I write about? And it was very exciting to be paid for something that I was doing, even if it was just like a tiny amount. Yeah. Um, but the most important part of that was that I wrote a lot and I just got better at writing because mm -hmm. I wrote hundreds of articles. Um, eventually they went out of business um, and I was looking for something else to because apparently they were paying a lot of money to somebody. <laughs> right. Someone bankrupted them. <laughs> a lot of money, a little money to a lot of somebody's. Sure. Um, so then I looked for another uh, opportunity and someone posted on a website called Teachers Pay Teachers, which is very uh, popular in the education world, that they were looking for an author to continue a series they had written. And so again, I was like, oh, pick me. So I sent my samples in and then uh, they accepted them. And so my very first books, uh, The Orphan Train Writers, were published uh, through a small company called Chapter Books for Kids. And then I would talk to that publisher and be like, okay, how about, how about a series about this? Or could we write a story about that? Or would you publish something? I just kept pitching ideas because I was so yeah. excited about the idea of having books out there. And she said, you know, I can teach you how to do this for yourself. It was right when self-publishing just became a thing. Um, and so she graciously taught me how to do it on Amazon. Wow, that's cool. And then I just never stopped. Like I didn't need anybody's permission to do anything right. with the book world. And so um, I just kept going and I've now uh, self-published whole books. That's amazing. Um, what a cool beginning though, to just like start, what did you say? A half a cent? One per, and a half. Yeah. <laughs> per hundred click. Yep. Yep. I okay. So basically it. free. I did, just, I, I did sometimes just click my own. Right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, who wouldn't? <laughs> um, but I love that because basically you, you were not afraid to put yourself out there. Nope. Um, <clears throat> you were eager to put yourself out there and show people what you could do, even if you, it wasn't a about the money. It was just, you know, getting your foot in the door and getting mm -hmm. experience. Like you said, just writing and writing and writing because you're getting better every time you did it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that is like one of the best pieces of advice that you could even take away from this podcast right from the get-go is like, when you're first starting, just doing what you need to do to not only gain experience, but to put your, your, your um, ideas and your name out there into the world and not focus on what you're going to get in return. Yep. Right. And think of how many things paid off in the long run, right? Like even a year and you might not see the results that you want, but in two years and five years and 10 mm -hmm. years. So when did you, you started doing that in 2008? Yeah. Wow. So what is that? I'm like, what year is it? 13 years? Yeah. 13 years, right? And now you get to be a self-published authorpreneur and tell us a little bit how, because you eventually made that switch um, kind of out of your full-time education yep. career, right? So tell us a little bit about that. So I always wanted it, uh, I always wanted to be a full-time writer because uh, telling stories is the thing that makes me happiest outside of humans. Um, and so I made a plan uh, with a business coach. Uh, her name is China Haas. 
And um, I also needed my kids to be out of daycare because that is a massive expense, especially mm -hmm. when you have a two educator family yeah. uh, and a mortgage. And so I said, by the time my youngest goes to kindergarten and we don't have to pay for daycare, I want to be, you know, a full-time writer. Um, and so we like backed it up 18 steps or 18 months mm -hmm. was, was when I went to see her. And so then we made a plan for every month. This is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to do. Um, also in that time, I saved 20% of anything I made from my writing uh, in an envelope in my basement in a safe. And it was called the GoPro envelope. I love it. So that when I did uh, leave my full-time teaching job, I had a couple months of my take-home pay mm -hmm. saved. Um, the other really great thing about quitting teaching is that you're like done in June, but you get paid July and August. <laughs> and go, so yeah. between the summer months where I was still collecting a paycheck and that envelope, I really didn't have to make money for six months. Wow. Um, and Which so probably really took the pressure off to be able to pursue and figure out what you want to pursue next. Yep. And like to figure out like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. We can't do this. Mm -hmm. And like to make a new plan. Yep. So I guess if you're looking to leave a full-time position, I would highly recommend having that safety net um, because you you do have to be real, right? You right. do have to like have uh, finances to support yourself, especially to like if you have a family, right? right. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And I never wanted my choice to negatively impact my family. Right. Yes, yep. absolutely. Well, so what year was that? Um. Okay, let me think. Mm -hmm. uh five years ago so when what's 20 2018 okay yes. cool yes yeah so for five years now you are full-time author and then tell us a little bit about some of the additional revenue streams that you have because you're really passionate about that too and that I think is very smart um as an entrepreneur to have multiple revenue streams so that you know your income is not solely based on you publishing a book Yep. Okay. So full transparency, I guess I wouldn't say I am a full-time writer because I do teach part-time sure. at technical yes. college. Um, and that first year or two, I did do some subbing, sure. you know, just yep. to, just to supplement things. Um, but yes, having multiple streams of income is so important and so smart. And my favorite kinds are the passive kinds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. But so I would say the main things that I do, uh, publishing books, selling books. So going to, to vendor events and selling there. Um, I also do uh, speaking gigs. Like I, I speak at schools for author visits or at writing conferences. Actually, I think I went to a, a conference that you were speaking at many years ago. Really? Yes. Like we didn't, we didn't connect or meet at it, yeah. but I do remember you talking to a, a group and I think it was about, I think it was about blogging actually. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 To do those. So, so workshops too. Mm -hmm. I've done workshops. Um, and then a couple of the passive revenue streams that I have are my YouTube channel, which makes just, you know, a real little bit right now, but hopefully, you know, over the long time mm -hmm. uh, it will, but I'm making money there right now while I'm talking yeah, to you. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then the other, probably my biggest passive revenue stream is Teachers Pay Teachers, which I mentioned before. It's an online marketplace for educators. So the way I describe it is it's like, a rummage sale for teaching materials, right? So I could pay Scholastic or Houghton Mifflin $799 for this boxed mm -hmm. curriculum when all I really want is this one unit on yeah. coaching. So people will go to Teachers Pay Teachers and they will buy materials from other educators who have created it and used it in their classroom. They know it works. 
and then mm -hmm. when you can buy it for four dollars yeah right mm -hmm. making it just more accessible and affordable for teachers yep so um I have been on that probably as long as I've been doing all of the other things sure. and again it starts really small but now I make about $500 a month wow, on that. That's awesome. And I don't do a whole lot. Like it's just a known marketplace for educators. Like mm -hmm. I don't do a ton of promotion for it. Um, actually traffic from there feeds my YouTube and my YouTube traffic feeds there. Yeah. So it just is like this lovely passive relationship. Coincide. Yes. Yeah. Um, and what do you so teach at, um, did you say TC? Yeah. I teach at Western. Yep. Um, so I'm an embedded support instructor there. So okay. I co-teach um, with other instructors with the whole goal of increasing student success. So sometimes that looks like, let me help you fill out your planner so we can, you know, sure. make a good plan for the week. And sometimes it looks like uh, giving feedback on papers before they turn them in or uh, reteaching a concept that the rest of the class has mastered and they're need a little help on. Sure. Um, so yeah, just like a, a free helper, I guess, is what yeah do for them. Well, and like, that's just an awesome additional thing that you can, you probably don't have to do a lot of prep time for, nope. and it's a consistent income stream. So I find that it's really helpful to have, you know, one thing that's super consistent and then the other types of, like you said, speaking gigs, mm -hmm. vendor events, um, and then obviously the, the passive income is probably, you know, it's, it's working all the time but like it's not as like oh I know I'm gonna make this much this month yes but it's nice to have like a variety so that you can somewhat guess um where you're at absolutely and the the really you know people always say like what if what if Instagram like died tomorrow what would you do right and yeah. everyone's like right but like really is it going to okay well I would say that pre-COVID speaking gigs made up 50 percent of yeah of my income um, and then when COVID came and it, it, it was gone, it just like yeah. it completely just wiped off the map for like two years. And I oh, don't even sure. think that we're back like, to I, what it was, to what it was. Yep. I'm definitely not speaking as much as I was before. Um, and so when people say that, like, what if X disappeared, like really, truly think about that, mm -hmm. because if I didn't have the other revenue streams, right. I would have been in really big trouble. Yeah. And Absolutely. because that one disappeared, that's when I added in YouTube. I was sure. like, I need to, if I can't count on this, I need something that I can count on. Yes, so. absolutely. So like knowing when to add something, pivot. Yeah. So is that's how you kind of made up for it in that time period, time frame? Yes. Um, yes and no. So it definitely isn't, uh, financially equal. equal. Yeah. Um, but time spent. Yes. And, um, I taught for just like a real brief amount of time at UWL. And then also when people were staying home for COVID and, and they were having to teach their kids and they're oh, like, yeah. how do I do this? Um, that's when I decided to share what I knew on YouTube. So when I was at UWL, I was working with Foundations of Education students. And um, in the education world, there's like this model that everyone's a reading teacher. And like people roll their eyes at sure. that because maybe they just want to teach um, math or or social mm -hmm. studies or science and they don't want to be a reading teacher but really ev everybody is so everybody has to take the, the foundations of reading sure. class yeah. and I'd have students planning lessons and they were using books from like 1950 mm -hmm. they were using like Dr. Seuss and Cats mm -hmm. for Sale and I was like what are you guys doing like these are so old and yeah. they're like 
well, it's what my teacher used, or mm-hmm. it's what um, was available at the school, or you're like, well, why don't you go to Barnes and Noble or the library and find something, you know, relevant or current? No. And, <laughs> yeah. and they'd either tell me they didn't have time or they didn't like reading and they didn't want to. Yeah. So I was like, well, I know what books you should read. And um, I will tell you, like, if mm-hmm. you're not, if you don't have the time or want to take the time, I'll just tell you what to read. Sure. And so then I was like, well, there's probably more people like this, mm-hmm. either rookie teachers, burnt out, tired teachers, mm-hmm. veteran teachers. Um, and so that's what I use my YouTube channel for, um, is to tell those people and also parents when they were mm-hmm. home with their kids, um, here's how you can do this. Here's a successful strategy for that. Here's the best book for this. Is that first chapter Friday? Yes. Okay. Yes. So every Friday I read the first chapter of an amazing book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of like a trend in middle school is this first chapter Friday thing. And teachers use it as a way to engage their readers. And like, you know, a lot of times the blurb on the back of the book or the cover or even the author's name isn't enough to hook a kid mm-hmm. into a book. But if you read the first chapter, then they're going to want to know what happens next. And then yes. they'll, and yeah. then they'll pick it up. It's like starting and then you get into it. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Well, as you can hear, she is taking any problem that she finds within her own you know, business or that she's hearing other people are having, Mm -hmm. okay, this is a recurring problem. Okay. This is a recurring problem. So how can I find a solution and fill the gap? Mm -hmm. Um, and when you can build a business off of filling gaps or at least parts of your business Mm -hmm. off of that, you know, it's going to be successful because you're already hearing people that, that need what you're creating. Mm -hmm. Um, and it makes it a lot like less challenging to sell something that, that people know they need. (laughs) That's so funny that you say that because when I first started my YouTube channel, I was like, I want to create something that I don't have to convince people is valuable. Yes. Because when you are an author and, you know, not many people know you and you live in the middle of the country, as opposed to like the publishing hotbeds on the coast. Um, and you don't know, you don't have lunch with agents and editors. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it can be a difficult sell to get people to try your books. And so it was really exciting when I started my YouTube channel and my teachers, my teachers businesses, I was like, I don't have to work hard to sell this because people need it. People want it. Like it was really refreshing to create something that people were readily hungry for as opposed to trying to convince them that they should want to taste it. Yes, absolutely. So if you're a small business owner, (laughs) that is gold right there. And if you feel like you're struggling with something, then maybe you need to take a different approach into, you know, what what you're selling or pivot it in some way to fill a gap and fill a void or even just niche down, right? Like you've really niched down with that to like help you know, teachers, like you said, that are either burnt out or they're new or they just don't care about reading. Like Mm -hmm. those are the three people you're trying to reach with these um, first chapter Fridays. Um, so if you can really figure out who, who exactly you're creating this product or service for, and then really, um, just deliver it to them, then yeah, it's going to be an easy sell. Yeah. And even like, I know in the entrepreneur world and in the creative space, people are like, do what you love. And like, that's, that's great. Like, yeah, absolutely do what you love, but like doing what you love, if there's not an audience for that, mm-hmm. if there's not a consumer for that, um, it might not be as successful as doing something uh, related to what you love. Exactly. Um, that will be financially successful. Mm-hmm. So I know that sometimes in the creative space, people don't like to think about that. But if you want to be practical about building right. a business, you do need to think about what 
what do people want? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can merge the two, you know, Mm -hmm. what do I love and what do other people need and how can I create something that still brings me joy and helps serve other Mm -hmm. people. And that's the goal. That's like where you're going to, yeah, find more um, excitement around what you're doing as well as other people being excited to buy it when they know that they need it. It's an easy sell. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Speaking real quick too, then when you said like, you know, the niche part. So it's not even like just teachers in general that I'm focused on. I focus on middle school ELA and reading teachers. Yeah. So sometimes people like on my email list are like, what do you have for fourth graders? Or what can I show my high schoolers? And I'm like, I'm not your person. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to add that to my channel or to my lineup because that's not a, what I'm an expert in. Right. And, and B, if I start creating all of that, then I'm not giving like my target audience what they want or need. And so, um, I'm proud of myself for doing that because Mm -hmm. I think 10 years ago I would have made whatever anybody asked me to just, just to please one person. Yes. Um, so think about, you know, broad categories, but Yeah. And sometimes like when you're first starting, you are, like you just said, you're looking for any opportunity Mm -hmm. to um, not only learn and gain experience, but to help people when your audience is small, Mm -hmm. but, and you might not know exactly who you want to serve when you first start, Mm -hmm. but then as you start to get into it, you build that kind of core group. And then, like you said, you know, your expertise, um, then yeah, you don't necessarily need to go outside of that when this this is the group that you can really serve the best um and there's other people that mm-hmm. can do the other age groups and the other yeah. audiences that are it's just yeah we can't we can only do so much mm-hmm. and be an expert at certain things and I think the reason that I can be an expert in this is because I did teach middle school exactly. for 12 years yeah right and so um if I would have gone to be a writer directly out of college um I wouldn't be the person I am today. I wouldn't have the experience that I have to share. And so sometimes it's okay to take that other career path first Mm -hmm. because the experiences you have, the relationships that you build, uh, the networks that you have, that just makes you have more to share later on. Um, Sometimes even think moving, right? Like I have, like I have Mm -hmm. my, my friends on my support network from Toma when we lived there. And then when I moved to uh, Holman and on Alaska and I met a whole bunch of new people like not that I moved to get fans but I was like oh look at all these new co-workers that yeah, I can tell my stuff about exactly like, look at all these new neighbors look at you know uh you know different di- extra people at church like you just like almost double <laughs> you do double who mm-hmm. you have to share with and so um sometimes moving or a job change provides an unexpected mm-hmm. value Yes, absolutely. And also just like knowing that, like, even if you're embarking on something totally new, you're never really starting from scratch because if you are just service-minded, passionate about, you know, helping other people and doing what you love, then um, regardless of what you're doing, you're going to continue to grow your network and grow your network and grow your network. And people are just going to continue to, you know, come along with you on the journey if they like you. So it doesn't matter necessarily what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And also like, you're always gaining experience no matter what job or career path you're in. I totally agree that I think you know, a lot of times 
people will regret maybe like, oh, I should have just started my business right away and, you know, not did the teaching or I should have, um, you know, skipped college and just did this or that. But like, that's where we not only gain networks and connections, but experience. Mm -hmm. For me personally, I don't feel that I would have any credibility to stand on and coach business owners if I didn't own my own business for 10 plus years. Like, who am I to sit here and tell you what to do if I haven't gone through those experiences myself? Mm -hmm. Um, So there's definitely something to be said. And like you said about serving middle school, well, you taught that group. So yeah, you can be an expert in that area. So Mm -hmm. I love it. Let's talk a little bit about um, just the creativity side. Um, have you always been someone that's been wanting like to be a writer? Did you write a lot growing up? Was reading something that you really enjoyed always or where did that come from? Yes. Um, <laughs> so writing is always something I wanted to do. I I did always like reading. Um, I feel like school supply shopping should be a national holiday, like mm-hmm. new notebooks and, I love and it. pens and planners and markers. Like I've always just liked that. And even as a kid, if I didn't, I did a lot of letter writing back in the nineties, we passed a lot of notes. Yes. Um, we'd have notebooks that we trade back and forth, but even if I didn't know what to write, um, I would just like write my name a billion times on a piece of paper, just because I liked the physical mm, act of like yeah. writing. Um, so I, I, I've always, I've always liked it. Yeah. And reading just... too, like equally, would you say? Um, Are you a big book reader? I wasn't a reader. A cute, uh, I would say probably high school and beyond is when I sure. became more of a reader, but it was always for pleasure. I was never like in any AP writing or reading classes. Like sure. it was just, it was just fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think I kind of knew that I was going to be on the teaching path. So I didn't need like higher level courses in, Mm -hmm. in that time of my life. I didn't, you know, need AP chemistry or right, you know, whatever. So I just pretty average just going through, but so just books for fun. Yeah. So let's kind of take us through, what does it look like when you get an idea or inspiration for a Mm -hmm. book and then from start to finish, like what, what is that process? Yes. So <laughs> a lot of times, so I like to call my books feel good fiction. My especially I my agree with that. My grown-up <laughs> books. And a lot of times I try to identify in my own life a universal truth, like an experience that I'm having. And I'm like, I bet a lot of people could relate to this. Mm. And then I will use that to propel a scene. Yeah. So for example, um uh early on in, in our marriage to teacher household, right? Two kids in daycare with, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of cash, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But I was like, I am a grown up, and I get name brand peanut butter mm-hmm. and I get name brand toilet paper. Like I, I deserve that as a grown up, <laughs> yeah. right? I have a paycheck and I am not doing the generic peanut butter anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that has to be like a universal feeling. Maybe people don't feel that way about toilet paper (laughs) specifically, but like that idea that like I've reached a point as a grown Mm -hmm. And so like that, I was like, that's something. So that spurred uh, one of the very first chapters in my second uh, chocolate tier book, Reality Bites. So she's grocery shopping. She's thinking about what it means to be a grown up and the things that she's putting in her cart. Um, So a lot of time it'll, it will start with something that you've experienced. That I feel yourself. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I handwrite everything first. Wow. Um, Does your hand get tired? <laughs> I was like, dang. I feel like no one writes that much anymore. You know, we just don't. Yeah. I am um, an incredibly fast typist. Okay. Like, and um, 
So when I type, it feels more stilted because sure. I finish typing before I have the next thought. Oh, wow. But when I handwrite, um, it takes me longer to get to the end of the sentence. So by the time I'm done with that sentence, I already know what's coming next. Interesting. Does that make sense? Like, it's yeah. just a better, yeah. like, physical flow. It, like, yeah, physically flows better in your brain and with your, your handwriting. Yes. So then I will take the handwritten notes and I will go to the computer and I'll type them in. And a lot of times while I'm doing that, I'll have additional thoughts or like I'll tweak words or, you know, sure. whatever. So you're not handwriting the whole chapter. It's like, like more of an outline type of thing or ideas or you are doing I'll write the whole thing. Wow. Okay. Um, but <laughs> if I have another thought as I'm typing sure. it in, it'll just, you know, expand, expand. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, then I will print that out. Um, and then I'll go back and I'll, I'll handwrite more to it. Like sometimes I'll only have like a couple of paragraphs that I type to start a chapter. I'll print that out and there's like this much room on the page and like the whole right. point, back of the page is blank and I'll write the next what's going to happen next sure. on that and then I'll take it back to the computer and then I'll type it in and print it out and just keep going back, back and, and forth, forth cool. like that the whole time till it's done. And do you give yourself like a deadline or are you more or less like I'm just going to like see how the flow is like when the creativity comes? Um, Usually the deadlines are financial Um, sure. as far as like it would be a good idea to have a book done by now because I could use some money. Yeah. Um, like, for example, right now I'm working on the third book in this close quarter series. Yeah. yeah. And um, there's a, a very popular spring market vendor event coming up mm -hmm. in May. Um, I don't know if I'm accepted yet, but I like it would be good to have it for that. For sure. And also Mother's Day is in May. Yeah, that's right. And so I'm like, OK, here are two times when I know that I could probably sell a decent amount of books. Mm -hmm. So I should have the book done by that. Yeah, that makes sense. And so that will be the the propel or the, the momentum and push to get sure. it done by then. Because uh, when you're your own boss and you don't have an editor <laughs> or a publishing company or anybody making those demands. Yeah, you um, have to make them yourself. Yep, for sure. Yep. So does it look like daily writing or do you have like, how do you structure that? Is it certain times of the day that you're most inspired? Do you force the creativity? Like, what does that look like? Um, I live my life by deadlines, which is a very writerly thing to say, <laughs> but um, whatever is due next, that's what gets my attention. Okay. So I, um, I used to do a blog post every week. I did that for four years. Wow. Um, but, and then I also do a YouTube video, at least one every week. And so because I've done those on repeat for so long, um, I just know like that has to get done mm -hmm. and usually about how much time it takes me. So I, you know, I know when during the week I need to finish those things. Sure. Depends on what I have class. Um, we were talking right before we recorded. I have a, I'm speaking at a conference next week. Yeah. So for me, it's like, okay, I have to edit the video. I have to get my conference slides in order. I need to, you know, finish, tweak the handout for the conference. Um, and then once those things are done, I can write. And sure. so usually my writing deadlines because I'm the one self-imposing them <laughs> come last. Yeah. Um, but it's also the most enjoyable thing that I do. Yeah. So for example, last weekend, my son had a basketball tournament and there's, you know, play a game, have an hour off, play a game. Have a... So I just brought my stuff with me and I sat in the bleachers and I wrote and yeah, like, I love it. I'm quote unquote working, but like, I like that. That's, yeah. that's fun for me. That's enjoyable. It doesn't feel hard. Yes. So um, a lot of the times my writing gets done on nights and weekends as like my free time. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's in my work day, but usually if it's in my work day, if everything else is done. 
Yeah. And I can totally agree with that. I feel like I create a lot of content for Sister Circle and any speaking presentations. And yeah, it's kind of just fitting it in around the things that need to happen every week. Mm -hmm. Um, And once those are done, which is usually by like Wednesday or Thursday, then it seems to be like Thursday, Fridays when Mm -hmm. I am like, okay, I have some time open. I'm feeling inspired because I got all this other stuff Mm -hmm. done. Um, And it is like, it's fun. Like yes. that is, I enjoy that probably that's some of the most enjoyable work for sure. Um, but yeah, it's almost like getting the other things done first. And then it's almost like you free up the brain space too, yep. to let the creativity flow in. Yeah. And I still think there's a little bit of like guilt or practicality too, oh, for as sure. far as like, what did you do today? Well, I sat in my jammies and I, on the couch and I, and I wrote like that to most people doesn't look like work. Right. But, right. It, but it is. For sure. Um, and think of how many people could do that and would never choose to do that because it's hard. Right. Like it's hard. Like what, how do you even start, you right. know, so where do you start? Or be disciplined enough to, to do it. Like I've had friends exactly. that say to me, like, I could never work from home. I would never do the things. And I'm like, oh, well, if I don't do the things, I don't get paid. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> the self-discipline around yeah. it for sure. Yeah. And building your own structure and routine, which you've really like you have all these different irons in the fire, right? But when you have that structure, you have that routine. And um, like you said, knowing what is the priority this week? Mm -hmm. What do I need to get done first? Um, And then the other things can come after that. Then yeah, you're able to do a bunch of different things. Yeah, Like I think that is one thing that people really struggle to understand about entrepreneurs is like, how do you do all these different things? And how does your brain switch from one thing to the next? Mm-hmm. And like, uh, I don't know, like, how do we just figure it out? Like, I do think it comes down to that structure and habits and routines. And, and you're probably the same where you look at your week ahead of time and know exactly mm-hmm. what you're going to work on each day. Yes. And I think too, it's really important to reflect and figure out like what things maybe there aren't room for anymore. So mm-hmm. I said before, I uh, posted on my blog every week for four years And this year I have goals to write two books, um, and continue on my YouTube stuff. And so I was like, if I'm going to do that and, and YouTube is newer to me, I have to, I have to give up something. Mm -hmm. I can't do all of the things as much as we want to, right? Yeah. (laughs) There are only so many hours in the day. So I decided, you know what? I, I blogged every day, every week for, for four years. And I was so proud of that streak. And I probably held on to the habit longer just because I didn't want to. Like, you, yeah, you did. I felt so personally long. invested. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, for the amount of traffic or, or good that blog is doing for me anymore. Yeah. Right. I use it as, as a way to like solidify um, and validate my authority, like yep. on, on the topic of writing. I feel like it has achieved what it needed to achieve. And now I need to use that four hours a week for something else. Yep. You know, and so um, don't think that you have to do all the things forever. Yes. Yeah. And you have to reevaluate every once in a while. And that's why it is so important to know your numbers, track your analytics on these Mm -hmm. platforms, you know, views, financials, all of those things so that you can actually put your time spent into things that are going to payback. Um, and again, it might not be immediately, but if you can see the value and trending over time, um, then it's worth it. And I do feel like 
even shifting from blogging to video content, like we know that more people just watch videos mm-hmm. than read blogs. Like it just is what it is. Video is trending right now. Yeah. Um, hence why we're doing this on video as well. Um, because it's like, well, if we're going to record the podcast anyways and get the audio, mm-hmm. then we might as well get the video. So yeah. trying to just, you know, work smarter and not harder. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, yeah, sometimes that takes giving up things that we've done for a long time that we are holding on to yes. um, internally um, that maybe just aren't serving us anymore. Right. And, uh, you know, four years of writing weekly, like that hones my skills well, that, yeah. as a writer. And, you know, I have a plan someday to to take that content and, and put it into a book or turn it into mm-hmm. a course or, you know, something it's, uh, it's never, work is never wasted. Right? No, we can never. always, we can always do more with it. And just because you choose to be done with something for a time doesn't mean you can't ever go back exactly. or, or repurpose it. Yes. Let's start repurposing because that is key for any, any person that's making content, I think, yep. whether you're writing, whether you're doing video, whether you're doing both, podcasting, whatever. Um, that is one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to start this podcast is because I could take clips from the podcast and use that for social media. And I can take mm-hmm. the video and put it on YouTube and and I can take the the transcript and make a blog out of it. Yep. Or I can take a presentation that I've already written and record it into a podcast. Like mm-hmm. there's just so many ways to reuse content so that you're reaching more people too you know or I take I take the social media post and I put it in an email and you know like it's just mind-boggling how many ways that you can reuse content reach different audiences um and just share a little bit about kind of how you you've done that too yeah well and if you think about who's on each different platform, Yes. right? So even though it feels like to you, you're reusing something and saying something (laughs) over and over and over again, chances are that your people are not on all seven of your platforms. No. Right? (laughs) And so to them, they'll maybe see it once or twice. Yes. And so it doesn't feel repetitive to your viewers or your people. It just maybe feels repetitive to you. Yeah. I will... um, trying to think I will share definitely share I created my newsletter specifically to promote and reshare the content that I create because I was like I need to tell people about this and I don't want to rely on social media algorithms Mm -hmm. for it to get in front of people's eyes so uh, often I will share the full excerpt like here's the link to my blog post here's the most recent video like just give it direct to people Mm -hmm. Um, I have a first chapter read aloud of all of my books on my YouTube channel um, and so I give those to book clubs often and be like, Here, awesome. yeah. you know, I know I'm a no name author from middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, you know, like if it's hard to convince your book club members that you should read my book, um, you know, listen to the first chapter. Here you go. Perfect. And so not only are they hopefully hooked and want to read more, but I'm getting YouTube views. Yeah, um, absolutely. So it's just dual. Yeah. And so like I tell businesses, business owners all the time that you need to have an email list Yes, because you don't own your followers on any social platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so just capturing emails, even if you don't even send an email right away, like mm-hmm. you might not send an email for months, just start yep. gathering those lists at every event, every opportunity that you have. Um, and like, you're like, when you sit and question, well, what should my email be about? What are you posting on social media? Mm-hmm. Put it in an email, right? Like yep. you said, like some people won't even see it on social media, right. but they might see it in their inbox or mm-hmm. vice versa. Um, 
it's just another great way to keep people connected with you yep. um, and uh, actually have their information to be able to reach out. Yep. Um, I found that having a template for my email, I have three different email lists, one for readers, writers, and teachers. Um, and I find, so it's called five good things. Yeah. So five good things for readers, five good things for teachers, five good things for writers. And sometimes yeah. people overlap. Sure. Right? Um, but it's really exciting to know that like these people are for sure going to see this mm -hmm. um, if they open the email. Yeah. Um, I'll also say like be um don't get too sucked in by like the high number of right of email subscribers I recently just uh deleted or archived a bunch of contacts because they hadn't opened the last 20 emails that mm -hmm. I've sent and I was paying for them to be on my list sure and yeah. so I took my list like I took a third of them out wow and that hurt because that I was so proud of that number yes right but I just checked the analytics for the last email I sent and my open rate was 52 percent which is like, which is really high. Yeah. Usually like 15, 20% is what they say. They yeah. say is good. Um, and so that was so validating to know that the people who were there are opening, are opening it and, and interacting with it. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think that's, all yeah, I no, that's a really great point. And that goes for any social platform too. Mm -hmm. It's like, it doesn't matter how many followers, you, followers you have, if people aren't engaging, mm -hmm. like focus on the people that are engaging with your content, wherever it is. Um, because that's more important mm -hmm. than like having a huge following. Sometimes having a big following doesn't even matter. Um, and it's just, and being able to have people that you're connecting with on a consistent yeah. basis. I will say the best um, result I've had with adding people to my newsletter is I do a big classroom library giveaway at the end of cool in, the, in December. Like I take a copy of every book I've done for first chapter Friday for the whole year. So 52 books. Wow. Um, and I give them away to one to one classroom. Cool. I've done it the last two years. The first year I had 800 new people sign up for my email list. And the second year I had like probably about 500. So wow. That's and awesome. so it is an investment, right? But I don't spend a ton of money on marketing. So I feel yep. like this is my whole marketing mm -hmm. budget in one shot. And that has been way more effective than like a $25 Amazon gift card here or yeah. a, a two book giveaway there. Like, yeah, just doing one something big, big giveaway. that a lot of people are really interested in. And it might feel nerve wracking to spend all that money like at, mm -hmm. at one time, but it is I guarantee you the $500 I spend on the giveaway is way more effective than doing $50 oh, yeah. for 10 months. For sure. That's a great idea. Yeah. Giveaways are perfect for building up the list too. Yeah. So just overall, what would you say is your biggest joy in your business or your work currently? Uh, I would say two. Um, you sent me these questions ahead of time. So I was going to talk about this. One, I really like making stuff. I just mm -hmm. like writing stories. I love making videos. I am addicted to Canva. I just like, I love Canva. I just like making things. It yeah. makes me happy. Um, and then the, the second thing I would say is that, um, the flexibility entrepreneurship provides my family. Mm -hmm. My husband teaches full time. I have two kids. He coaches, uh, for six months of the year. So working a ton of hours, mm -hmm. I love that I can do things I enjoy, but also take care of my kids when they're sick or take them to an appointment. I love that if my husband has a baseball game at two o'clock on a Friday, I can be there. I can yeah. go. Yeah. Um, I love that I go mall walking with my mom and my auntie at 10 a.m. on a Friday. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. so um, does that mean I have my computer on my lap at from eight to 10 at night sometimes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does it mean I write in the bleachers on the weekends? It does. But 
I don't care. I can, yeah. I can do that. I'm willing to make that trade. So, um, I don't know that I will ever go back to <laughs> anybody else ever again. I know. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's just such a joy to be able to be there for my people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, um, 100% why my, um, yeah, my own parents were entrepreneurs because they wanted to be able to raise my sister and I and be able to be at every single, you know, mm -hmm. young author night and sporting yeah. event and do the field trips and mm -hmm. um, just having that freedom, regardless of, you know, the sacrifice that it would take to mm -hmm. be able to make a living, you know, on your own and owning your own business is a lot and it can be stressful, but the, it's worth the 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 sacrifice because yeah, you mm -hmm. get to spend more time with your family and, and still do what you love. Yeah. And in the same breath, my kids see me working hard. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they see me writing in the bleachers or whatever, and they know that they are my most important job, mm -hmm. but they are not my only job. Mm -hmm. And so I like, I like that. They see that, um, that the world doesn't completely revolve around them. Mm -hmm. And that if you want something, you have to, to work hard. So it's not like I, I like my job because I can like be at their beck and call. Uh, I get to make the choices mm -hmm. and then they see the, the results that, and that there are consequences to choices and, you know, I can be at this game, but maybe I need to bring my laptop and, mm -hmm. or, you know, um, if we want to be able to go on this trip, then I need to work extra to mm -hmm. be able to afford that. Um, and I think those are really valuable, you know, life and money lessons to teach your kids that like you can have what you want, but you might have to, you know, give them mm -hmm. some things up along the way and, or put in the extra effort, um, to be able to have those things. Yep. And what better way to teach them than by example. Yep. So I love that. What would you say has been your biggest challenge being, um, in the authorpreneur role that you've been in? Um, so uh, I, I call this the Jesus of Nazareth syndrome, and it's not like a religious lesson, but uh, when Jesus first came on the scene, uh, nobody in his hometown, like, mm -hmm. thought he was a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, what? Savior of the world? Like, aren't, aren't you Joseph's kid? Like, isn't he the carpenter? You know, like, right. Yeah. But then when he went and he did all his things and his miracles, yeah. he came back and everyone's like, ah, oh, I get it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think there are times when I am in my hometown where I approach an organization or something and say, I could do this for you. I would like to work with yep. you. I would like to, would you stock my books? Would you, whatever. Um, and people are just not interested. Um, that, that hurts my feelings. Yeah. Right. right. Um, because I feel like, and I think probably a lot of creators feel like their, their family or their, their hometown should be their biggest supporters. Yeah. And my family is my mm -hmm. biggest supporters. I am incredibly lucky there. But um, I think my biggest struggle is when uh, local people or organizations um, just like aren't supporting me or rooting me on to sure. the level that I feel like they could or should. Yeah, like if you went into, well, because I know you go to the cities sometimes too, yep. right? Like, so if you went into a different city or a bigger city, because you're not from there, then they're like, oh yeah, like, you know, yeah. we wel welcome you in a little bit more than being just more like, oh yeah, you're my neighbor. You're a little bit Yeah. Not that we're like, you know, we need this big ego brush, but we want to be able to provide for our own community in the way that we can best serve. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah. And you don't want to like, 
be egocentric or be like fawn over me like you know like <laughs> right. I'm not I'm not looking for that um or, or to throw anyone under the bus like I don't want to be like you know call out names or, or whatever uh I think it can be summed up I had a, a friend um an acquaintance uh convince her book club that they should read my book for, for their choice for the month and then we were at a party a few um weeks later and she's like you know, after a couple cocktails, uh, she's like, we read your book and it was really good. And uh, like, she sounded surprised. Yeah. Like, she's like, you know, I, I introduced you to the group because, you know, you're local and I wanted to be supportive, but like, we really liked it. And, like, and you're saying she was like, like, this is supposed to be a compliment, right? she, but yes, it's yes. coming out she like a surprise. <laughs> she wasn't trying to be right. Nice, right. Yeah. She was be, be, trying to be very kind. Um, But it's just sometimes like that when when you you're not a big name when you don't yeah. have an agent or a traditional publisher yeah. when you know people more on a one-on-one -on -one basis sometimes it is yeah. a little bit more challenging for them to I think see you in the professional way that you want to be seen yeah if that yeah. sums it all up is yeah. like when you are from the area like there's <laughs> just less um I think I don't know the word that, yeah, there's less um, hype around yeah. like what you're doing or who you are just because you yeah. are local. Yeah. So that I can totally see how that's a challenge. Yeah. So the answer is go other places. Yeah. Let them pay you to do your thing. Yeah. Right. And then you come back and you say to the locals, uh, you know, I've done this, this and this. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, really? Yes, I could do that for you too. Oh, okay. Well, let's. You You're know. like the third person that I've heard recently that has told me that. Yeah. That they had to go outside of the local area to kind mm -hmm. of make a name for themselves, you know, get the experience mm -hmm. and the the people to really um, like what they do and then come back. And then the people mm -hmm. were very impressed. And isn't yeah. that amazing? But I don't think like, it's like. <laughs> um, specific to our area i'm not no, saying that's anything like anywhere our town or no. anything um i think it's just kind of a universal except jesus of nazareth syndrome you gotta go do big things somewhere else first yeah i totally agree and i think that's a good yeah that's a good lesson for um other people to hear too if you are struggling to yeah make a name for yourself in your local area maybe yeah go travel and try and try and approach it from um being an outsider mm -hmm. and see what the response is a little bit too what does creativity mean to you? And what are some of your like sources of creativity or maybe activities that you do to inspire creativity? Uh, I'm a very visual person. Um, so going back to when I said I was in middle school and I wanted to write, but I didn't know what to write. Um, if I see a picture, uh, so if you just like go to Google and you just write uh, picture prompts or in sure. You, entertaining picture prompts or inspiring picture prompts they'll come up with all these just really unique images whether it's a landscape or like something paranormal or whatever um or if I'm going to write about a place that I've never been I will go to google and I will look for what that place looks like mm -hmm. um so for me visuals are very um yeah very inspiring to help spark ideas um I usually have more ideas than I have time to write them. Mm -hmm. um, so that's not something that I often struggle with. As far as what creativity means, uh, I think it's just figuring out how to use what you have to do what you want. Mm, I like that. I like the the broader definitions. My husband and I 
<laughs> um, have the not a disagreement, but we just have different ideas of what creativity is. And mm-hmm. I think being you could be creative in like anything that you do. You can mm-hmm. be creative in the kitchen. You can be creative in your workouts. You can be like actual. He thinks of it as like kind of artist. You know, mm-hmm. very hands on painting, drawing, writing types mm-hmm. of music creativity. Yep. But I really do think that creativity can be brought into anything that you do. Oh yeah. Problem solving. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think I would align more with your definition. (laughs) No, I just, I think what, that's what we hear though. Like, you know, is like, oh, you're creative if you're an artist or a writer or a musician or a, you know, photographer, like there's certain like careers and roles that I think we deem creative. Yes. And then other things that we say are not. Yeah. But you can bring creativity into anything. I mean, my sister convinced me that, you know, because I would consider myself a creative and she convinced me that I could be creative in real estate. And I, at first was like, I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. Like, what do you mean? Like a creative sign? Like, <laughs> I don't understand. And now that I'm in it, I get it. Like mm-hmm. you can be creative in the deals that you put together and how you approach a situation. And um, yeah. And so that has really solidified my view of creativity and like how you really can be creative in anything um, yeah. that you do. If you're like, actively intentionally seeking it out yeah last night my husband and I were sitting on the couch he was talking to me about one of his uh, classes that was struggling a little bit and we brainstormed for probably half an hour of yeah different things that he could try or do yeah with creating yeah. solutions yeah like that absolutely um what would what advice would you give to someone that is interested in pursuing writing a book as I'm sure you probably hear this all the time. Yes, I, <laughs> I'm going to write it. Yes, I actually just met with someone this morning about, uh-huh. about this. Um, uh, two things. One, I would say uh, get the words on paper. You have to take it from here mm-hmm. to here because once it's on the paper or on the screen, you can do something with it. Yep. Up here, uh, I mean, you can let ideas percolate and whatnot, but um, until it's in a visual form, you can't really move forward. Yep. So just start writing. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is surround yourself with people who like to do what you do. Mm-hmm. So I'm a part of a couple different groups. Uh, one locally is the Mississippi Valley Writers Guild, uh, which is also connected to the Chippewa Valley Writers Guild in Eau Claire. And so um, I go to bi-weekly critique meetings with cool. my writer friends and uh, retreats and different things. And it's just uh, nice to be with people who like the same thing mm-hmm. that you do and they will understand your successes or obstacles in a way that other people won't. Like yep. I said, my family's super, super supportive. I hit the lottery with them, um, with my husband especially. But if I'll say like, oh, I wrote 2,500 words today. You know, he's like, oh, good for you. But like uh, a, a writing friend would be like, oh my gosh, yeah, how right. long did it take you? You know, yeah. like um, they just get it. And so surrounding yourself with people uh, who can, who can appreciate your, uh, triumphs and struggles, but, and mm-hmm. who can encourage you, um, who can teach you things that are relevant, um, yeah, to learn from and yes. work alongside. Yeah. And I think too, like, it's one of those things where, you know, if you tell people that you're writing a book, you might not get a lot of supportive, like feedback because, yeah. you know, some people are going to be like, well, why, you know, why would you do mm-hmm. that? Like, 
because again, if you're not doing it necessarily for the money or you, let's say you just want to write one book and just mm-hmm. see how it goes, like not everyone is going to be super supportive. Yeah. You might just think it's a waste of time. So surrounding yourself with people that are going to support you, um, even in the decision to try and write a book. Yeah. Um, and maybe you don't tell that many people at all while you're doing mm-hmm. it, you know? Yeah. The other thing is it takes a really long time. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it takes such a long time. And so to have people who are with you for the whole, for the whole ride mm-hmm. and not just the, here it is in your hands. Will you buy it or yeah. it kind of thing? Um, so yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, what's next for you? What's the next yeah. thing you're kind of excited to do? Obviously writing a book right now. Yep. Uh, so on my, uh, on my docket this year is I'd like to write close quarters number three and four, and that will finish out that series. Awesome. Um, I have, uh, an iron in the traditional publishing realm that may or may not pay off, but sure. it would be very exciting. Um, as a self-published author, probably more so than a traditionally published author, some of those obstacles I was talking about, like, you know, uh, people thinking you're a big deal or hiring mm-hmm. you for this or that, like, there's a pretty big stigma that comes along with self-publishing because anybody can do it. Yeah, and there's a lot sure. of not so great books out there. I would even say like my <laughs> first books were were not so great. And now I'm going back now that I know more and, and redoing them. Sure. But there's a certain level of validation mm-hmm. that comes with being traditionally published. So yeah. um, I would like to pursue that. It's just such a long, long road. Mm-hmm. Um, many people might not know when you... Uh, you, you write a book, you attempt to get an agent that can take six to 12 months, wow. right? Then the agent has to sell the book to the publisher. Once the publisher says yes, so once you've done those two really huge things of finding the agent mm-hmm. and finding a publisher, it will take a publisher 12 to 18 months to get it on the bookshelf. So something yeah. that you finish in January of 2023 likely isn't going to see a shelf until 2025. And so as a self-published author who relies on that as a part of my income, mm-hmm. my self-published books, it's hard to give that story to someone else, right? Not knowing whether it will ever yeah. see the light of day or not. Um, but with it, there are rewards beyond what I can get for myself. Sure. So I would like to, uh, and I have one potential, you know, Yay. uh, well, I hope thing. you get it. Yeah. yeah. Me too. That so, would be very exciting. Um, just have to, just have to wait and see. So, but, uh, in the meantime, I'll just keep, keep writing. Just keep writing. Yeah, exactly. Well, and not letting that be like the end all be all, be all of what you're going to do or your capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like you said, it's something that you'd like to do at some point in your career, be able to have that. Um, but you're going to keep writing regardless. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, not letting that be like your, you know, sole decision to keep going. Yeah. Um, what are you most proud of about yourself? Um, I think I thought I tried to think about this one. I love this question. (laughs) Um, I think that I am willing to go for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That I'm willing to try. Um, part of that is, uh, reliance upon my husband and the fact that he has a full-time job with benefits and health insurance. Mm -hmm. Like he gives me the flexibility to make this choice, but I, I'm not afraid to ask no matter who I'm asking, mm-hmm. you know, the worst they can do is not reply. Yeah. Like exactly. to me, to me, a non-response is worse than a no. A, a no at least validates that your request was worth their time. I agree. Yeah. Um, 
but I'm not, I'm not afraid to ask. I'm not afraid to work hard and, and put in the time and energy. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to try new things. Um, so just, just keep going. And I think yeah. that that, that more than any singular achievement mm-hmm. means something to me. Absolutely. I love it. So my last question is what drives your soul today and what gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, it's kind of a repeat answer from before. I, I like making things. Mm-hmm. I like creating um, and telling stories. And so that would be the first part. And as corny as the second part is, is I really like making people happy. Mm-hmm. And that's like not in a people, people yeah, pleasing sure. way, right? Like um, if I can do something to make someone's life more joyful or easier or or uplift, um, that's that's what I want to do. I want to lead with kindness. I think that if everyone did that, uh, we would not have many of the problems we have today. Um, So really to just to be kind and to make life easier for other people uh, in my life. And, you know, whether I know them or not, whether it's, you know, showing up with soup or offering a ride or Mm -hmm. I mean, whatever, just be nice. Yes. Awesome. Well, I have absolutely loved this conversation. It's super fun. And I just want to thank you for being one so um, kind and generous with your information. Like, I feel like if there's anything um, that like can help other people, you're willing to give it. Mm -hmm. Even people that are like, I want to be an author, which I'm sure, like I said, you hear all the time. Um, But like, you still give the information, you're helpful, you're encouraging, you're supportive. um, You're, you're very transparent, um, which, you know, it's, I love that. And I love that you continue to pivot and adapt and do things, not always just for an outcome. Like you're very much like, you know, this is my financial goal, but at the end of the day, like you wrote for pennies, literally pennies (laughs) just to gain experience, um, and really hone your craft. And I think everyone can take something away from that. So I'm so glad that we had this conversation today and I appreciate you as a friend and fellow entrepreneur. So thank you for being on. Yeah. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me. I would say it's like not very Midwestern of me, but like if someone's going to give me an opportunity to talk about myself, (laughs) we'll take it. Well, yes, absolutely. And tell us where we can find you and connect with, um, more about what you're doing and your upcoming books. Yep, absolutely. Uh, my website is just my name, amandaziva.com. Uh, I call my website Word Nerdopolis. Going back to that whole business coaching thing, uh, my coach said, like, what do you like envision your building as? I was like, no, I, I have a whole city. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's there's a movie theater for the YouTube videos and there's a bookstore for the books. And so, um, so cool. Yeah. And I'm, it's visual. Like you said, you're visual. Yes, so you made it something in your mind and on your website that's visual. Too. Yes. All the art is done by uh, Rachel Wunsch. So you should look her up too. Oh, yeah. Also I love local. it. Um, so yeah, amandaziva.com is where you can find all the things. Um, I'm word nerd underscore amandaziva on Instagram. Um, locally, my books are at Pearl Street Books or Birdie's Bookstore um, out of Holman. Otherwise, Amazon. Yes, love it. And I have read the um, first book of the Chocolatier series, The Champion Chocolatier, and love it. Um, and I'm excited to dive into the second one and then get into close quarters. So thank you for being here. Um, thank you for listening today. And until next time, keep following what inspires your soul. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Soul Driven with Steph. 
If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it out with someone else who needs to hear this message. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you know when new episodes drop. And until next time, be sure to take care of your mind, your body, and your soul.